Hello, magic seekers, and welcome to It Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts, Laura and Shannon, and, and welcome, welcome to, to our, our podcast, Coven. lovely podcast coven we're back with you this week and it's just me and Laura it sure is we're bringing it all our attitudes and everything we are we are (laughs) it's been a lovely week um lovely with the inverse meaning attached to it yeah it's been full on I don't know if everyone else has been feeling it around that um Aries new moon it was intense a lot going on yes a lot coming up and a lot of flooding, a lot of water, a lot of emotions, a yep. lot of change. And pressure. Yeah, definitely. Like situations that there's no um, delaying or putting off. Like mm. you need to act when things come up. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no not dealing with it. Mm. So, yeah, it's been full on. We we're just having a little conversation off air that we thought we'd share with um being okay when things are not okay that it's okay to feel shit sometimes and to you know we have these beautiful practices and rituals to support us but sometimes it's not enough and sometimes you just feel like it's all a bit too much and things are overwhelming and as I like to put it a bit of a shit cake with a bit more shit on top wow it's like the poo poo platter from the other week we we're talking on. Yeah. Turns out she's psychic. True. Tracy put a lovely image up on the Instagram on that. <laughs> I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, the episode that we're um, releasing for Turns Out She's Psychic tomorrow. Yeah. Um, will be all about um, toxic positivity, okay. silver linings, and that sort of thing. So perfect. It's, it sounds like yeah. it's perfectly timed. Yeah. So mm. I think it is a common thread. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. And look, I know things will shift and things do change and that is something that I know myself I hold on to when things are um, difficult and you feel like there's no real clarity or you feel like you're just doing the same old uh, treadmill of life. But, um, yeah, we've just had a a gut full of the weather and holding up our build and just – Health issues and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It just all seems to happen at once, doesn't it? Yeah, there's that um, cascade. Mm. There's no stopping it. It's this cycle. It has to run its course. And you're yeah. just like, how much longer and how many more things yep. are going to happen? Yeah, that's it. And so sometimes that just gets a bit much and a bit worn thin. Overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, yep. that was a nice cheery start to the podcast. <laughs> Well, hopefully we can hit a little pause on that. If we can't change what's happening, a little pause and a little reset and a little checking out into a great podcast or into just finding moments that you can put a pause on the rest of everything else. Yeah. Sometimes that's all you've got, isn't it? For sure. For sure. So we're hoping we can do this for one another while we're chatting and for you guys who are listening, maybe resonate with some, some kind of... Thing of where you're at. Yes. Let us know how you're going. 
Yeah, please do. And, um, you know, if you are struggling at the moment, know that you're not alone. You're not alone and things do change. That is the only constant in life. Absolutely. They do change. Yep. It's just hanging in there until they do. Yeah. <laughs> hanging in there. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Wine helps. Yes. <laughs> Very much. Sometimes too much. <laughs> too much wine and not enough help. <laughs> um, but we digress of our topic today, which is what, Shan? It's a nice little... Yeah, we've got um, sacred symbols. So I thought we would delve into a few different ones from around the world. And I'm sure a lot of these things people have seen before, but maybe don't know the in-depth meaning behind them or the history behind them. So So cool. Mm. He challenged me to do some research and normally, well, I do like research, but I do often struggle to find the time. So this was no different. So I was sort of (laughs) researching right up until the moment you pulled into the driveway. But you've you've (laughs) got it done. And well, we I have find an it fascinating. So Same here. Good. Yeah. Same here. And these sorts of things too that you might be familiar with but not exactly sure what it is. Yes. It's cool. So it's a good opportunity to sort of escape and yeah, definitely. read up on. Yeah. Yeah. Sure is. Are you going to go first? Well, we've got a reader um, email. Nice. Slash Instagram message. but um, Thank you. Yes. So do you want to read it out or shall I? Oh, why don't I read it out? You can read it out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I recently started to own my witchy ways. I've been slowly revealing to friends and family how I work with the moon cycles and follow the wheel of the year. I've really enjoyed diving deeper into the rituals and celebrations associated with each season, and I feel it's making me a better and more in-touch human being. I've always been into all things esoteric, so it really should be no surprise that those closest to those closest to me. Most people in my life have been supportive and are not surprised, but there have been a few friends who have greatly te- or who have gently teased me about different things. I know it's not intended to be hurtful in any way, but it has made me feel silly for my beliefs at times and makes me want to run straight back into the room closet. I would love to ask Shannon, did you ever face these kinds of situations or feelings? And if, and if so, how did you handle it? I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast each week. So it's, it's so weird how each episode feels like you are talking to me about something that I have been wondering about. It's like you and Lara can read my mind. Keep up the much-needed witchy work and thank you. Oh. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the sweet words. And Absolutely. it's certainly not uncommon a situation she's found herself in. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, thank you for reaching out, Jessie. And um, first things first, you need some new friends. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um <laughs> But no, I totally understand where you're coming from. I definitely experienced that as well. Um, And I found it wasn't really people super close to me. It was kind of other acquaintances that maybe didn't know me as well. Uh, Or understand what you were doing. Yeah, yes. And I think that's a big part of it. I think, um, well, it's part of my motivation for doing the podcast is to try and educate people about what being a witch is and that it's not this scary devil-worshipping yes. evil thing that people have been led to believe it is. That they perceive it to be yeah. so different to what it actually is. Definitely. And I guess perhaps 
oh, not that you should have to try and educate those around you, but just letting them know that, yeah, we, yes, I am a witch, but it's literally nature worshipping and honouring yeah. the seasons and the cycles and tangible things around you and tangible energy. And I find that if I put that to people, it can kind of make them go, oh, okay, like I yeah. kind of get it. Um, but then again, you shouldn't really have to try and prove yourself. Like, no. Yeah. And there's a difference there, isn't there? Like you're not here to prove things or yeah. change people's minds. But if um, education can be the sweet sister that sometimes leads someone to a better understanding and therefore less ignorance yeah. or less misinformation. Definitely. And beliefs yeah. that are just based on, I don't know, misinterpretations or... Mm just weird subliminal messaging from yeah. from a lifetime of conditioning really. Yes. It's one yeah. of those things. So although you're not out to, to prove yourself, and I'm sure you can understand why people firstly would have the wrong idea, but it's no excuse for um, teasing someone. No, no, or making them feel silly for their beliefs because yeah. I'm sure if it was a Christian, yeah. so someone that's found Christianity, yeah. I would hope that people wouldn't. Yeah. rib them about that either so it's yeah. it's just having that respect well regardless of whatever religion or belief system it mm. is it's having that respect for that person's beliefs so um yeah I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that they've made you feel silly and I totally mm. understand where you're coming from about wanting to retreat and not yeah. share I think a lot of witches do experience that of um, wanting to do things behind closed doors because of the fear of being seen and the fear of ridicule um, and the fear of judgment. That's a huge one. And I'm sure, you know, we've discussed it in the podcast before. It's, I'm sure there's stuff there from not this life. It goes back many, many lifetimes, that real fear. Fear of being found out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure that's coming into play here too. Yeah. Um, I had a funny experience when we first started the podcast, actually. Oh, right. um, Because, like, I don't get around going, hey, I'm a witch. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Nice to meet you. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't come up in conversation generally. Um, So I guess when I started doing this and people were listening and going, oh, like, I didn't realise that you actually practised all this or Mm. whatever, Um, you know, and that's that's natural and normal. But I was at the shops with my daughters Uh in a surf shop. And I've rounded the bend and I've bumped into a lady that I knew from one of my daughter's primary schools. And I was like, oh, hey, how are you going? And she looked at me like a deer in the headlights wow. and just went, oh, oh, hi, and like scurried off. And normally she would talk to me. Uh-huh. Like normally she'd be like, oh, hi, how are you going? Yeah. And I was like really like, wow, that was very odd. And I thought, Super oh, maybe weird. I've just got her at a weird day or whatever. And as the universe would have it, I actually bumped into her again Um a few days later at the doctor's oh, right. in the waiting room and yeah. same thing, just avoided me like the freaking plague. Wow. And all I can think is that maybe because, like, we haven't had beef and I don't have beef with people and yeah. all I can think of is that she knows I'm a witch now. <laughs> <laughs> She's afraid of you. <laughs> Seriously. I said that to Evie, to my eldest. I'm like, it's really bizarre. Like, it's not once, it's twice now that she's yeah. really avoided me and looks at me like I'm a bit weird (laughs) and I have to just laugh about it because it hurt I must admit it did sting to start with I was like oh I'm a I'm a really nice person why are you you haven't changed no I haven't changed at all and 
Yeah, I found it really perplexing more than anything. And then I kind of came to the resolution that it's a you problem. That's a you problem. Yeah. It's not, nothing's good to see it like that. It might not hurt any less, but it helps you understand. Yeah. And look, she might have, you know, deep religious beliefs Mm -hmm. or she might have deep fear of witchcraft. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where she's coming from and I probably never will because she won't speak to me now, but that's okay. She might be listening. Hopefully. What would you say to her if she was listening? Uh, yeah, that I'm still the same person and yep. I'm not scary and I'm, I'm not a devil worshipper. Yeah. Yep. I literally worship the earth. Yeah. It's not scary. Well, it sounds pretty harmful to me. I'm not yeah. sure about it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, but thank you for your, your message, Jesse, and um, yeah, just keep holding your head high and yeah. doing what you do and... Easier said than done sometimes when you're in a minority and you feel vulnerable already, like yeah. taking yep. your first few steps out there and really owning it. Um, you know, if if it was something else or if it was your child in that situation and they had perhaps been talked to by a bully as an adult, you'd be like, oh, come on, it doesn't, you know, you'll be okay in the, in yeah. the grand scheme of things. You'll be fine. What does it matter? That person's opinion. But when you're mm. already feeling vulnerable, yeah, does matter. It does. And I guess the big takeaway is that I've found is since really walking my talk, so like holding circle and having yep. the podcast, I've found so many people of the same mindset as myself and the same yeah. belief system. So I guess when you do put yourself out there and be vulnerable, it does attract yeah. those people to you as well. So you do realise, in fact, you're not alone and you do have yeah. a lot of people that feel and think the same way as you, Absolutely. which is really beautiful. So And others may fall away. Yes, Or true. they may become a little bit more informed and be more intrigued Yeah, and dig it. Yep. Either way, those things are always happening, aren't they? They sure are. Yeah. They sure are. A few of my friends have said, oh, I, I love this podcast. It's a podcast that I never knew I needed. <laughs> I love that. So cool. Converting witches one at a time. Absolutely. I'm like, <laughs> me too. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. So that was a good little chat. Thanks that for that. was. Thanks, Thank Jesse. So, yeah, let's get on to our symbols. Yeah. So I thought it'd be a cool topic to cover because since the beginning of time, obviously, symbols have been used in all cultures across the globe and people have created these um, to use in ritual and divination and to serve as good luck charms or protection sigils. And also certain symbols can invoke that energy into your home um, and alter space. Or mm-hmm. even into your, you know, yourself if you need some more strength or confidence. That's right. Yeah. So I think everyone can kind of agree with that. Yep. Um, so did you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can go. I can talk about um, my stuff first. So yes. I was looking at, um, well, essentially protection, talismans and, and symbolisms. Mm-hmm. So I researched what the meaning was behind the evil eye, which can be, you know, interpreted two ways. So I'm going to explain a little bit about the belief of what an evil eye is. And then also there's a talisman called the evil eye. So it can sound confusing when you're not looking at pictures. It's like, yeah. which evil eye is she talking about? So we will be sure to put pictures yep. onto yeah. Instagram. That's right. So that and I'm, you'll yeah. see what we're exactly. rattling about. <laughs> what we're trying to say. But I'm sure everyone can sort of picture that. Um, it's really popular in Greek, isn't it? Mm. It's a, a very popular Greek um, tourism thing that 
yeah. um, blue glass bead. So mm. that's definitely with the black center and the yeah. white. Yeah, and the, the eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the evil eye um, as a belief, it, it's a supernatural belief in a curse um, brought about by a um, malevolent glare, usually given to a person when one is unaware or a bit naive to, to the fact that someone's looking at them, glaring at them with what is known as the evil eye. So the classical author Plutarch's explanation stated that the eyes were the chief, if not sole source, of the deadly rays that were supposed to spring up like poison darts from the inner recesses of a person possessing the evil eye. So there's a lot of unwanted energy going someone's way unbeknownst to them, Mm. essentially. So that's the belief. Um, Many cultures believe that receiving the evil eye will cause one misfortune, bad luck, ill health, injury or even death. This belief in turn has been the cause of many different cultures to pursue protective measures against receiving it. Um, So that's when we have many different options yeah, and what that is. So the concept and its significance vary widely but is especially prominent in the Mediterranean and West Asian areas and appears multiple times also in Jewish literature and ancient Egypt and mm. anywhere. anywhere. Yeah, true. I think it's kind of a worldwide thing, isn't of it? Of course, yeah. So the ones that I'm looking at today, I kind of went down a little wormhole with this as well because <laughs> so when I looked at do. one, it leads to another and it's kind of cool. Um So as there are many popular amulets and talismans used to ward off the evil eye, uh, they include the Hamza, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But I found a couple of um, southern Italy uh, interesting things that I'm going to talk about right now. Um, So in southern Italy, there's sort of three main things. And one is just the hand gesture of the sign of the horns, like like this. So that's, yeah. So often people will do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like rock and roll um, is one of them. But if, you know, it's an easy protective uh, sign to do anywhere, anytime that you feel as though you could be under threat or you've just seen something um, damaging and you don't want to absorb that negativity, you can ward off any negative energy. So that's why it's very very common. Even people walk around with it behind their back if they're meeting someone that they're yeah. not too much of a fan of. Like that lady that was afraid of you could have been doing that behind Maybe. her back and just had a conversation with you. Probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, not that you're evil. I was just trying to be. I wasn't very funny. Anyway, anyway. So there's a couple of other things. One is called the uh, Chimurata. Chimurata. And then there's another one called the Cornicello. So there's a couple of little uh, talismans here in southern Italy that I'm going to talk about. So the Cimurata is an Italian folk amulet traditionally worn around the neck or hung above an infant's bed to ward off the evil eye. It's commonly these days made of silver um, and it consists of several small charms with each individual piece being attached to what is supposed to represent a branch of rue, which is a flowering medicinal herb for which the whole talisman is named. So it looks like a tiny little branch mm-hmm. and then attached to each of those branches are other little charms. Yeah, wow. And they hang them. They're quite uh, common to be hung above a cot mm-hmm. or hung above a doorway. And so each little charm means something to the person that's made it and hanging it so it can look a bit different. Yeah. But the whole thing, yeah, is a little branch. Um, and back in the day, it was the actual branch. In these days, it's made of silver. Beautiful. But I thought that was 
kind of interesting because you can DIY it to whatever you yeah, I love want. That. Yeah. Um, so the component parts of this are particularly associated with southern Italy and it may differ by region or origin. But from out of a central stalk of rue serving as its base, they radiate multiple branches which appear to blossom into various designs. The divergent branches sprout at their extremities and such magical symbols may be a rose or a hand holding another hand or a wand or a sword, Um, flaming hearts, a fish, a crescent moon, a snake, an owl, a plumed medieval helmet, a blossom, a dolphin... A, it says here a cock, so a rooster. I'm, so, I'm thinking not a phallic <laughs> not a, sort not of a penis. <laughs> no, the other time. <laughs> An eagle. Um, so keys, anything. You can put anything on them and it just depends on what you're trying to, you know, achieve and where you're yeah. putting it. I love that. But it also... Um, I wonder if that's kind of where charm bracelets yeah, came from. Because that's exactly. what I was picturing as you were talking yep. with just all these of these little silver charms. Elements. And it reminds yeah. me of ages ago before I had kids, before I'd even met Matt, I found this gnarled, gnarled twisted branch washed up on a, on a beach. Mm-hmm. And I always liked it because it had so many, like... I don't know, little knobs on it and twists and turns. And so I just kept it. It was always somewhere in my house or in my room. Anyway, it's in Maya's bedroom and I've I've hung it lengthways and I hang charms off it. Wow. How cool is that? You didn't even know it. I know. I read this today. I was like, huh, look at that. Already doing it. Yeah. Um, And along with various other documented elements of regional magic and traditions, the Chimurata is alleged to be... Um, borrowed and used among self-identified Italian-American witches. Some practitioners of the neo-pagan religion of witchcraft, Stregoneria, may consider it a remnant of a more ancient Italian magic tradition, such as that detailed by Charles Leyland in his 1899 text, Aradia, or the Gospel of the Witches. So the more I sort of read up on this, it was such cool information. Um, And then also I researched into a little bit, just some interesting tidbits of information into Rue, which is Mm -hmm. the branch that I was like, well, that must be like a pretty powerful thing. Yeah, I haven't Mm. heard of it. So um, it's commonly known as Rue or Common Rue or Herb of Grace. It's a species of Ruta, which is R-U-T-A, grown as an ornamental plant and herb. It is native to the Balkan Peninsula. It is now grown throughout the world in gardens. It's actually really common, um, especially for its bluish leaves and sometimes for its tolerance of hot and dry, dry soil conditions. It is also cultivated as a medicinal herb. It's quite famous and well used in Ethiopia, where its local name is Tena Adam or Health for Adam. Um, it's consumed as a condiment and to a lesser extent as an insect repellent. Um, And in the ancient Roman world, um, some naturalists recommended that ruby combined with the poisonous shrub oleander to be drunk as an antidote to venomous snake bites. Wow. And there's also another medieval handbook on wellness called, I'm not even going to read it because I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Something in Latin. List um, properties of use for rue. 
uh, nature. It's warm and dry in the third degree. Optimum, that which is grown near a fig tree. Usefulness for sharpening eyesight and dissipating flatulence. Oh. Dangers, it augments the sperm and dampens the desire for coitus. Oh. And neutralisation of the dangers with foods that multiply the sperm. It's very well, there you go. interesting. That is. Rue is also a common ingredient in witchcraft and spellmaking. During the Middle Ages, it was a symbol of recognition between witches. The Catholic Church also used a branch of rue to sprinkle holy water on its followers. During this time, it was known as the Herb of Grace. Wow. I know. I know. So that was all just something I fell into and found and I thought that's kind of cool. That is very cool. I'm going to find myself some roof for my garden. Definitely. Sounds like we could grow it in this climate fairly easily. Yeah. And then the other little talisman I wanted to share before it's over to you is the cornicello. So another Italian sort of talisman. It can also be called the cornetto. Um, which is Italian for little horn or hornlet or corno or corno porta fortuna, which is literally the horn that brings luck in Italian. So it's an Italian amulet or talisman worn to protect against the evil eye and bad luck in general and historically to promote fertility and virility. In Neapolitan, it is called cornucello or variants thereof. It is sometimes referred to as the Italian horn, but it's a twisted horn-shaped charm often made of gold, silver, plastic bone, terracotta or originally um, from red coral. So a lot of them are red in shape and we were talking before we started recording. Yeah. I remember, I've seen these and I always thought they were chilies. I thought they were a little chili yes, pendant or something, yeah. but it's the twisted horn. So they're thought to be modelled after an eland horn to represent fertility, virility and strength. The shape and colour of the red cornicelli are reminiscent of a chilli pepper. Makes total sense now. It does. But you don't know it at the time. Um the evil eyes believed to harm nursing mothers and their babies, bearing fruit trees, milking animals and the sperm of men, the forces of generation. In addition to being worn as jewellery, cornicelli are sometimes hung from the rearview mirror of cars and this is based on the older custom of using them to protect draft horses. So they used to okay. be hung around draft horses' saddles and now that's um, it's put into a car but it was protecting the horse itself, the animal. Wow. I thought that was cool. That is very cool. Yeah. So just a tiny little bit on the mythology behind it, the Greek and Roman mythology. Uh, the cornucopia became a symbol of fertility, which you have covered. Um, and the earth, after Zeus broke a horn from a goat, he filled it with fruit and flowers and gave it to his caretaker. The coral of which the corner um, cello is often made is sacred to Venus, goddess of love, fertility, sex and prosperity. And silver, of which it is also often made, is sacred to Luna, the goddess of the moon. And the phallic shape and red colour is also reference to Priapos. Is that how we say it? Do you know I think him? so, yeah. He's, uh, I looked him up too. That's an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> A male fertility god known for his enormous erection. Yeah. Wow. That, uh, yeah, that was another little <laughs> interesting. Wow. So many um, yeah. deities are wrapped up in that. That's yeah. Amazing. I know. So I kept mm. looking and looking and looking and I originally, and I will cover 
you know, the evil eye as we know it yep. a little bit more and then the harmsa as well. Yes, because a lot of people love the harmsa especially, yeah. I know, even with my pottery. Um, yep. I sell a lot of work with the harmsa on it and, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I'm not sure if people really understand it's beautiful. It's origins and, yeah. yeah. So I'm excited you're doing that. That's awesome. Thanks, Shan. What have you got? <laughs> well, I have something called the heptagram. Okay. So it's a seven-pointed star, also known as a septagram, elven star or fairy star. And it's used in modern magic but also in so many other ways, which I will share now. Ooh. So we've spoken in depth before about the five-pointed star known as the pentagram. Yes. So the star within the circle. And um, when it's in the circle, it's known as the pentacle. And it is widely seen as a symbol of witchcraft and paganism. So the pentagram, so the four lower points signify the four elements of earth, air, fire and water. And the point at the top represents spirit. And I also found another really interesting take on it during my wormhole research. (laughs) (laughs) So easy to go down all these little different roads. So the pentagram is most uh, appropriate symbol of the human magician as it also mirrors the shape of the human body with the arms and legs outstretched. And then when you add two more points to make seven, it has wings. Oh, I love that. I love that too. Is that the fairy star? Yeah, the fairy star. And also it reminded me of um, Leonardo da Vinci's drawing The Vitruvian Man. Yes. Illustrating what he believed to be that divine connection between the human form and the universe. Absolutely. Mm. I love that. I thought there was no coincidence there. Absolutely not. So the heptagram, or as I like to call it, the fairy star, (laughs) expands our directional awareness from five to seven. It encompasses north, south, east, west, above, below and within. And since within and below are unseen, they signify the hidden realms of the Fae. And given its odd number of points, it's related to a continuous line. And due to its unbroken form, the heptagram also can be used as a symbol of eternity. Wow. I know. It's, I'm loving this star more and more. Yeah. So you can use the fairy star as a focal point for meditation or as a protective shield. The number seven is also considered magical in various spiritual traditions around the world. So it can be, um, it can stand for the seven musical notes, Hmm. seven colours of the rainbow, the seven star sisters known as the Pleiades, and so many other sacred things. For example, in Hermetic Kabbalah, the seven-pointed star represents the Netzach sphere and its corresponding planet Venus. The very famous witch Alastair Crowley picked the heptagram as the seal of Babylon, the sacred whore and the great mother of Thelema, which we will definitely need to do a whole ep about Crowley. Mm, okay. That's like a massive rabbit hole, which I won't go into right now. <laughs> future <laughs> ep. Definitely nice. future ep. And the heptagram was also used in Christianity to symbolise the seven days of creation and became a traditional symbol for warding off evil. The symbol is used in some Christian branches such as Catholicism and Orthodox Christianity. The symbol is also used in Kabbalist Judaism. In Islam, the heptagram is used to represent the first seven verses in the Quran. I can't even speak today. The Quran. (laughs) In alchemy, 
A seven-sided star can refer to the seven planets, which were known to early alchemists, and also the seven alchemical, oh my gosh. Alchemical? That one. That one. Substances of fire, water, air, earth, sulfur, salt, and mercury. Wow. I know. And in Polynesia, the seven-pointed star is used often in imagery, basket making and tattoos, and and it's considered to be a symbol of... Kanaloa, the first Polynesian navigator. Oh, okay. The seven-sided star is an important symbol of the Cherokee people of southern Appalachia, representing the seven clans of the Cherokee and the sacred number seven. And then finally... Good Lord. The Australian flag has a star with seven points, signifying the unity of the six states and territories of the Commonwealth of Australia. (laughs) So there you go. That is the heptagram. Holy smokes. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And so many different meanings. Yeah. Yes. So I do have a beautiful um, picture of one that's got like beautiful, like Celtic knotwork all through it, which I will post onto um, our socials so everyone can have a look. Yeah. And that would really depict the unbroken. Yes. The unbroken line. Mm. I just want to go stare at one now. I know. (laughs) Get yourself a fairy star. Yeah, I I absolutely will. (laughs) I'll add it to the things. (laughs) All my things. All the things. I know. Um, Right, so over to me to talk a bit more about the evil eyes as we're familiar with. I'm sure Mm -hmm. we we can all picture um, one that we've seen. And when I was researching and I found an article where a jewellery designer who who makes – them among other things was talking about she's from Greek background and she always had one around her even when she was a baby her mum would pin um like a little talisman onto the cot and that sort of thing and her first one was a gift as a bracelet when she was six or something like that so she's always always had had a connection and now she's designing them and selling them but she also passed a comment that during COVID-19 the last couple of years this the sales have increased so much yeah wow and she just says maybe this is due um to the need of people to acquire something that would boost good luck and protection in these difficult times Mm. so I thought that's uh interesting that is it's an interesting observation. Um, but they're, you know, traditionally designed in the shape of an eye in the colours blue or green that indicate spiritual protection. And it was also the most, or well, blue itself was one of the first colours that was easy to make from all the minerals that were around. Um, that might come come up. I'll just read on rather than trying to add loop. <laughs> I do that often. Sorry, guys. Uh, these talisman or evil eye repellents come in different shapes and forms as pendants, bracelets, earrings and rings, or can be hanging in a glass bead from over the main door or entrance to someone's home to keep the hearth protected. It dates back to uh, classical antiquity, like Greek style in the 6th century BC, where it appeared on a Chalcidian, I think that's how you say it, Chalcidian drinking vessels made of ceramic or clay known as eye cups. So there okay. was eyes depicted on the outside of them. And when you raised it up to drink and you couldn't see, those eyes would be protecting you. I love that. And then so when I clicked on the word Chalcidian to see what that meant, it was an, a little peninsula, a little area in the Mediterranean that thousands of years ago now got destroyed by oh, wow. 
some king or dignitary that, you know, was trying to get rid of that space. But I thought that's that was yeah. interesting itself, cute little fact. Not cute but interesting fact. <laughs> um, so in, in following times after the ceramical clays, the production of glass beads in the Mediterranean region in approximately uh, 1500 BC, evil eye beads were popularised and made easy to reproduce. Um, and the thought of having it as a round bead, it would um, not only ward off the evil eye, but it would act as a mirror and repel it back as well. So um, a bead and its shape associated with it is was thought of to be effective at doing that. Um, and then in Egypt, the eye of Horus is a similar symbol of protection and good health. Um, the Greek evil eye talisman specifically protects against malevolent gazes. Um, so that's more specific, whereas the Egyptian one was protection but also good health. So there's a lot of different iterations. Mm. Um, <laughs> and just, just on a side note, when, when I was reading that jewellery designer one, she was saying... Meghan Markle wore a bracelet and the very next day it was just sold out everywhere. Oh, It was just the tiniest little thing because they included a picture. It was a tiny little sort of gold bracelet and you couldn't even tell what it was but lots of people must have just zoomed in on it. Like she wasn't even talking about it. It was just, isn't it amazing, the sort of effect. Yeah, (laughs) celebrity. Yeah. Or royalty, I should say. Yeah, that's right. A bit of both there. A bit of both there. Yeah. So that's that's the evil eye for you. Yeah. I'm sure it's one of the most common ones that we've all familiar with. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I you know have to I had one. Live under a rock to not yeah, have seen right. an <laughs> evil right. eye of some sort. That's yeah. for sure. I had a ring when I was a teenager. Yeah. My cousin bought me a ring. I loved it. Oh, I've actually got a beautiful silver one that. Um, my beloved jeweler Denny from Little Hands Make Magic. Oh, yeah. She made it. And it's got a little Labradorite. Um, stone right nice. in the center oh, yeah beautiful. it's gorgeous yeah it's really lovely when you feel like you need a little extra yeah like get the fuck away from me vibes yeah another <laughs> layer yeah and that's the thing it's not just protecting the stairs and the glares it's not protecting yeah. you from them it's actually reversing it back to that person yes so there's then the karmic element in that as well I suppose and mm. for that the person doing the ill wishing yeah yeah yep sending it back yeah, that's right. And then I also came across some areas of research that were, um, I didn't really include it earlier on because I couldn't find more references for it, but there's a th- three different sort of levels of ill-wishing. One is the sort of unconscious um, thoughts of envy or jealousy when you see somebody and you are un- unconsciously sending them sort of bad mm-hmm bad vibes and then um so that's like the first level and then the second level is actually someone else consciously sending someone um ill thoughts and ill wishes and then the third and worst sort of depth is someone going out of their way to do it like cursing Mm. yeah like a curse that's right so yeah wow and yeah I thought you know it made sense it was interesting but I don't know what are your Mm. thoughts on that oh I think it definitely yeah has truth to it yeah sure whether it's unconscious or conscious um I'm all about talismans and and protection and um for those reasons because because I feel some people throw shade and don't even realize it just from their own energy or their own their own shit they got going on or as you say like jealousy and those kinds of things so I think 
there humans are, from the beginning yeah. of time have done yeah. that, haven't they? So, yeah. and we're all human. Like at yeah. some point in time, we're all fallible. Yeah. yeah so, mm. yeah, I thought that was interesting. Super interesting. Mm. Thank you. That's okay. It's your turn now. It's like a little game of tennis. It like, is. Oh, my turn, your turn. And I am so excited to read this one out. This oh, is, is the this one the I was one? telling you about that. Um, you were telling me without telling me because yeah. I just wanted to. I basically said to Laura, do you know what a Sheila Nagig is? And you're like, no. And I'm like, good. <laughs> I'm gonna... I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> so I read it and I was like, okay, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> I'll trip up over that. So basically a Sheila Nagig is a sculpture carved into stone depicting a cackling naked hag-like woman. Oh, wow. Squatting holding open her extremely large labia. Oh. Or as we like to say in Australia, fanny flaps. Fanny flaps. Fanny flaps. Wow. Wide open. So that's. That's a shill and a gig. Right. Yeah. So if there was ever <laughs> such a thing as big dick energy. Yeah. Then the shill and a gig is the embodiment of big vag energy. Wow. Yeah. The and cavernous. We shall get into that. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> no, and this is a no protection symbol. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, for once I was like so fascinated that I didn't even get what you just said. <laughs> and that's unlike me. I know you're just looking at me like with yep. Yep. big wide eyes. Yep. Like, whoa, okay. I can't believe you just said that. I know. Really? <laughs> Sorry, guys. But it's a thing. So this is a thing. It is. So the vulva, the yep. entrance to the womb, is a powerful and evocative symbol regarded with great reverence by virtually all ancient cultures okay. and considered as having great power. Well, it's so of true because it it's a gateway. It's, it is. Yeah. And folklore and tradition, especially in Ireland, is full of references to the power of women. Uh-huh. So Sheila and gigs are architectural decorations, much like gargoyles were used. And really? often, yeah. They went just everywhere? Yeah. So they were often positioned over doorways and windows, presumably to protect these openings. And they're. <laughs> Sorry. There's going to be a lot of giggling openings. in this episode. Right. So they're found throughout most of Europe on churches, cathedrals, castles, gateposts, and other buildings. Wow. The greatest concentrations can be found in Ireland, Great Britain, France, and Spain. And sometimes they're paired together with male figures. Oh, of course. Of course. Got to balance that out. Got to balance that out. You've got to put something in it. <laughs> Sorry. So Ireland has the greatest number of surviving Sheila Nagigs. 101 examples can be found throughout Ireland and 45 in Britain. One of the best examples may be found in the Round Tower at Ratu in County Kerry, Ireland. They seem to have their origins in the 11th century. The oldest discovered in the British Isles so far dates back to the 12th century and the youngest, the 16th century. Yet their beginnings are an enigma. Early theories from art historians claimed that they were grotesque hag figures to warn against the sins of lust. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And a way of keeping the minds of churchgoers and monks pure, <laughs> which I find... Kind of hard to believe. I'm How? Thinking, it's How like, do you figure that? It's like saying to a teenage boy, don't think about pornography and then laying out like a penthouse yeah. magazine. Yeah. And going, don't think about it. I don't get it. No. And also another thing that made me think this was a bit of a crock of shit right. is a lot of the ones that are placed in churches are put like high up in the rafters. So oh, you'd okay. need like a pair of binoculars yeah. to even see you it. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know it's there. Right. So, um Hmm. That kind of makes me think it's more of a protection thing. Yeah. Uh, 
but others suggest they are a talisman against evil. The act of a woman flashing their genitals has been believed to scare off demons as, <laughs> as far back as ancient Greece. And this practice has a name. It's called Anasurma. Anas- so it's spelled A-N-A-S-Y-R-M-A, Anasurma. Yeah, okay. So if you want to, <laughs> I you don't know. Anasurma like, someone. Yeah. <laughs> If you think you're like... You would get arrested. <laughs> if you walk into a house, you feel bad vibes, there yeah. might be a ghost there, just flash it. Protect. Flash yeah. it with your vagina. Oh, my gosh. I so wish yeah. Tracy was here, like, because her face <laughs> would just... Actually, she'd be so loud right now laughing. <laughs> In fact, I think she did something similar when we were having our photos taken to me. She did. She flashed My you. eyes, my eyes. That's right, to make you giggle. <laughs> it did make me giggle. I didn't think she was going to do it. She's like, do you want me to flash? And I just looked at her and I was like, ah, my eyes. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. Anna Surma Jew. Anna Surma. So more recently, researchers have leaned towards the idea that the Sheila is in fact a pre-Christian folk goddess and her exaggerated vulva a sign of life-giving powers and fertility. Wow. Now I feel like you're really going to get the giggles. Oh, God. There has been evidence that some of the Sheila gigs have rub marks on them, <laughs> meaning they have been vigorous, vigorously rubbed many, many times. <laughs> When I come back, I'm coming back as Sheila <laughs> Nikki. In a prominent place. <laughs> Gets lots of attention. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. So this plays into the notion of sympathetic magic, that you can touch an object to receive its power. Rub for luck. <laughs> well, I like the Buddha's belly, but it's <laughs> a giant labia. Yeah. La- and its yep. key is... Uh, so it's Pat, Pat, uh, oh, I'm speak. sorry, yeah, you've got, you like, got me all flustered. I'm <laughs> blushing. So it's key to perhaps understanding the Sheilas. So in yes. medieval times, there was such a high maternal mortality rate yes. that you wanted to have a big vulva to ensure the child came out as quickly as possible. Too right, Vegemite. Yeah, because a long drawn out childbirth could mean the death of the child and the mother. Yeah. So it would make total sense that the Sheila Nagig may have been used as a talisman for childbirth. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And even though her name is an enigma, one theory is that Sheila could mean old woman or crone and gig was slang for genitals. Okay. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Mm. So they're not entirely sure, but they think it's a mixture of those two words. And one thing that most of these figures have in common is the upper parts of their bodies belong to elderly women. So why on earth would these figures of fertility also be reminiscent of mortality? And perhaps that's because life and death go hand in hand. So there's a particular church in Shropshire where a Sheila Nagig sits above the door of the dead, um, the door where the dead would be brought in and out of for oh. funerals. Oh, okay. So is this like this Sheila Nagig saying, you come out of the earth, you return to the earth, you come out of me and you return to me? So it's that symbolism yep. of a gateway. It's a Absolute, portal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Wow. Just like our lady parts. Portals for life. Total. Yes. Total gatekeepers are we. Definitely. That's so I thought awesome. that was really interesting. So that is a Sheila Nagig. Yep. And, yeah, I will put some pictures on because there's a lot of them. There's that, different ones. There's some. Amazing. Look like they're having a really good time. Yeah. <laughs> I like, yeah, how you read the description of what it looked like at the very start. So it's, it sounds like a really 
powerful thing. Like it's yeah, not, yeah, definitely. Like she's not giving a fuck. No, at that's all. right. Like she is yep. there in her out and divine proud. feminine power and going here it is here I am for and everyone laughing. to see yeah, yeah she's laughing. usually depicted laughing yeah mm. I love that I do too it's pretty cool oh what a badass I'm also not going to be able to hold a smirk back next time I meet someone called Sheila though <laughs> like I there's no not hearing this I now. know you're just gonna have nagig Straight off. Yeah, Sheila a gig. Yeah. Hi. Sorry for all the Sheilas out there. Apologies. Oh, I'm not. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> Could be embarrassing slightly, depending on your audience, but I'm like, yeah. I'm named after. Do you know how powerful that is? Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. But also really funny because I'm so immature. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly we are after this. <laughs> but love it. Fascinating. I can see why that would be um, both popular and not so popular. Yes. Yeah. Well, apparently, um, because I I could have rambled on and on and on and on, but um, a lot of them have been destroyed for obvious reasons. So yeah. A lot of the bishops and things. Oh, if um, they're had in them churches, yeah, knocked off the walls and and can shattered. You imagine? Yep. Yeah. That's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. You imagine how many there would have been. Yeah. If there's still like over 100 in Ireland today, yeah. I you can't imagine how many there would have been in um, earlier times. And Ireland is so, or can be so, um, oh God, I've lost the word, but not really open to big things like that. They're mm. very, oh, the word escapes me. I'm so sorry. It's not even a unusual word, but... <laughs> Laura's a little bit hungover today. I am. Oh, my God. I'm moving on to talk about the Hamza, um, which I really love because I have one at my front door made by you. You do? Yeah. Um, so I looked I looked up about it then when I was looking into it and then I got to delve deeper for this episode, which was cool. And there's um, what I learned was there's sort of a few different iterations, much like um, – your star, the seven-pointed star. Yeah. There's so a few different takes on it. But these ones are much more similar just from a few different cultures. So um, in Hebrew, the word Hamza means five, um, but it's also known um, by many different names. But for those of you who might not be picturing um, what this is yet, it's a um, symbol depicted by an open right hand, often or sometimes with an eye in the centre. The Hamza head is used in many cultures as a symbol of protection and is believed to protect the home or wearer from the negative energy of the evil eye. So it's commonly placed above doorways in homes or worn as jewellery. For example, placing a Hamza hand in the room of an expectant mother, mother, <laughs> mother, <laughs> mother is said to protect the new family from evil spirits. So um, it can also be called um, the Hand of Fatima. This name is derived from Islamic beliefs um, and named after Fatima, the daughter of the prophet. Um, the Hand of Miriam in Jewish culture, the Hamza is a symbol of the Hand of God. It is called the Hand of Miriam after the sister of Moses and Aaron. Um, it can also be known as the Hand of Mother Mary. This name comes from Christian tradition where the symbol has been named after the mother of Jesus, Mary. And Hamesh, the word Hamesh means five in Hebrew. It represents the name He, which is one of God's many names. 
So it's one of the oldest symbols with a history that dates back at least 1,800 years, predating all the major religions. The, fir- the symbol first originated in ancient Meso- Mesopotamia, which is present-day Iraq, and uh, present-day Tunisia, that area. It has great significance um, to Middle Eastern and North African people also. It is believed that the symbol was created by the, oh, my gosh, I have to say this word, <laughs> Phoenicians, Phoenicians, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, everybody, who used it as an amulet. Over time, it continued to be seen as a symbol of protection from evil, especially from the evil eye, that primal fear that has existed in almost all cultures. Uh, so the common thread is that it brings in luck health, happiness and good fortune and it wards off evil and negative feelings. So the two main styles that the Hamza comes in are with the hand either up or down. So if the hand faces up, it is a sign against evil. It is representative of protection and repels the negativity of others and protects you from your own negative thoughts, such as envy, hatred and greed. The fingers may be spread apart to repel evil. If the hand faces down, the Hamza represents abundance and goodness. It becomes a welcoming sign that invites good things into your life. In this position, the fingers are generally closer together as a sign of invitation for good luck. I thought that was cool. I didn't mm. know that little bit. Um, and then the Hamza hand is also a powerful symbol in Buddhist and Hindu spirituality as each of the five fingers connects to the five senses, mudras, as well as each finger is representative of a chakra and an element. So from the thumb, each finger connects to fire, the solar plexus chakra, air, the heart chakra, ethereal, throat chakra, earth, root and water being the sacral chakra this connection is believed to produce potent protective energy so that's cool amazing (laughs) i love it i found it i found it really interesting and then just a little bit more on the fatima hand Mm -hmm. so it's known all over the middle east and north africa and when we're looking at the Fatima hand um, as interpreted by the Jewish, Christian and Islamic followers, it can also be seen as a pagan fertility symbol um, and that dates back to some ancient cave paintings that were found. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I found that there's another thing here. Bear with me while I scroll. But it... Um, It presents femininity as it is shown as the woman's holy land. In Jewish tradition, it refers to the hand, yeah, of Miriam. But Mm -hmm. that was the part with the uh, femininity because it's the woman's holy land because of that hand. I didn't know. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I hadn't read that before. But, yeah. That's fascinating. Hmm. And another thing too... um from my observations of your wonderful research is that thread of using these charms and amulets in cots and cribs for newborns. And was it you guys talking about um, like the spirits of babies, that they're quite vulnerable? Tracy was saying that after a listener email about her child. So that's over on Turns Out She's Psychic. We had a listener email um, in talking about some – she felt some, the mum felt some presence in her child's room. Mm. And um, Tracy was able to connect and 
and explain that often spirits will be drawn to a baby or an, a youth's energy because it's so pure and it's there's mm. so much of it and spirits are just drawn to this to the source and if the source is great then that's where they're going to go yeah it's interesting it's so interesting and then I know in other um like research I've done and other podcasts I've listened to they've talked about yeah those gatekeeper kind of um spirits that mm-hmm. protect those souls not only coming in but leaving as well so yeah. um I guess that's why hospitals and graveyards and things like that can be places of such high activity yep. of energy absolutely yeah it's so fascinating and then when you tie in these talismans because obviously people have been aware of this that's right for millennia absolutely mm. and it was a bit more we come from such superstitious um and strong belief systems in the past and these days I think it's somehow diluted out a little bit or I watered down or misinterpreted yeah Yep. And misunderstood, but it's all still there. Mm. And, you know, the historical evidence is all still there. All these ancient customs were brought about for reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I love so it. So cool. It is. Mm. So it's over to you. That's it from me. That's all my research. I love it. You Are we well. right there? You did well. <laughs> well, I've got one more to share with you all. And this one is the hexafoil. Okay. So it's also known as witch's marks or daisy wheels. Great. So witch's marks are ritual protection symbols, also known as apotropaic marks. Oh, I yeah. don't know if I murdered that word. <laughs> apotropaic? Yes. Uh, they've been found in many historic places from medieval churches, houses, barns, and even caves. So the word apotropaic comes from the Greek word for averting evil. The marks were usually scribed onto stone or woodwork near the building's entrance points and particularly above doorways, windows, fireplaces to protect the um, people and visitors from witches and evil spirits, which I found really funny. Yeah, because who made it? A witch. I know. That's what kind of spins me out. Like I find it fascinating. Like people are scared of witches and magic, yet they used magical talismans to protect themselves from magic. Do you think? This term witch has different iterations and interpretations and there were witches that weren't very popular Yeah, and there's witches that are. Definitely. But they're all called the same thing. Well, that's another thing that kind of comes back to our listener Jessie's question. That's something I get asked a lot. Are you a white witch? Yes. Like you're a good witch, aren't you? And it's That's like right. I'm just a witch. Like I, but I guess there are, are people. Are you Glinda? That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that does come up in people's minds. But and there is there were dark definitely magic. there is hundred percent dark there's white magic, magic. Yeah, for sure. And there's good people and bad people. So I dare say there would be yeah. good witches and bad witches. Just like there's good Christians and bad Christians and yeah. good yeah whatever's like it's That's right. Everything yep. in life has its its good and its bad, I guess. So true. Mm. It's interesting, though. It's so I, interesting. I love that to ward off witches. It's like, hmm, <laughs> I need a witch to make me a talisman to get rid of a witch. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Anyway, so back to it. <laughs> so they date back to times when the fear of witchcraft and the supernatural was widespread. So magical symbols and ritual objects were a common part of life from around the 16th to the early 19th century. Gosh. So the hexafoil is a six-lobed flower pattern 
and they vary considerably in size, but by far the most commonly occurring mark. The origins of the symbol can be traced back into antiquity and they have been found in English buildings from the early medieval period right up until the 19th century. Um, they kind of remind me, which I will put photos once yeah, again. Yeah, I want to see one now. <laughs> yeah, they kind of reminded me of the flower of life geometry. Oh, so the con- concentric circles. Okay. Yeah, oh, you can kind of picture right. that, but a bit okay. more of a crude version that people have created Ooh, themselves. Right. So the purpose of hexafoils is disputed, and I guess like most things in history, we will never know for sure. That's right. But, uh, for example, in the world of Wicca, they are seen as sun motifs. Okay. Another school of thought suggests they could be uh, geometric exercises for apprentice carpenters and stonemasons, uh-huh. as they certainly do appear as geometry exercises and also have featured in some manuals. Okay. Uh, however, their interpretation as a ritual protection mark is the most widely accepted theory. They are found extensively on churches in the form of graffiti and also <laughs> occasionally in the designs on portable and not-so-portable medieval objects for example, timber chests and heavy stone carvings. They have also been spotted in barns once used to store grain, often around the door openings. They appear on the stonework of some of the grandest barns, such Mm. as the 15th century barn at Bradford-upon-Avon, Wiltshire, now in the care of the English heritage, and on the doorway of a barn at Middle Littleton in (laughs) Worcestershire a National Trust property, so you can apparently go and see these ancient marks, which are pretty cool. How big are they? Wow, uh, they're pretty big. Okay. Yeah. And beyond barns, hexafoils have been identified in many timber frame buildings across the country and indeed many historic houses and even some furniture items. So it does ask the question, were these items of furniture featuring hexafoils used in ritual or are they simply a decoration? Yeah. So it's very interesting. Simply a decoration. Oh, there'd be some meaning behind it. There'd yeah. be definitely symbolism. Everything had a meaning. Definitely. Yeah. And a lot of people from when I'd done my research have, um, in the UK mostly, but, uh, you know, pulled walls, you know, jip rock off walls uh-huh. to renovate and have found them. Okay. Like, yep. So people have built their homes and put these marks in the walls. Yeah which is not uncommon at no. that time. Yeah. So cool. It is so, so cool. And like you said, we will never know, but we can... Speculate. And it's fun. It is. <laughs> it is. I like when you were saying it could be, uh, you know, with the draftsman or the tradesman doing yeah, just stuff. Yeah, practising. Yeah, it's like they're sort of shorthand trying to figure something out. <laughs> yeah. As they're constructing something. I love that. I do too. But if they're in prominent places like above doorways and stuff, there's got to be... A meaning. I think so. Yep. You don't just yep. put a hexafoil willy-nilly about the place, do just, you now? <laughs> you can't just willy-nilly <laughs> splash a hexafoil around. <laughs> That's so, cool. Yeah. Thank you. So welcome. That was fun. Yeah. I learned a lot today. Same. That was mm. really fun. That was a great suggestion, Shannon. Oh, look, I'm all about symbols and stuff like that, so I yeah. thought why not? Share it with everyone. Yeah. We can and do who's... so many more episodes on it too because, right. holy moly, there was a wealth of symbols out there. Get in touch and um, share your favourite with us. Yeah, we'd love to know. provide some information and, you know, we can put it on the socials and... We can read it out in another episode. We can read it out. Yes. We can do all those things. We can. Yeah, let us know your favourite. So we are up to Divine Tool of the Week. Oh, (laughs) wackadoo. And I thought, 
because we've just covered the entire episode on different symbols and their meanings, I thought we'd bring that into candle magic and the art of carving into wax. Okay. So have you done this before? I've not done it. I've been tempted because I've been reading a little bit about it. Yeah, it's a very... go on. Yes. Do you do it? I'm guessing you do do. it. Yes, I do. So it's known as consecrating your candle where Mm. you use a sharp object such as a needle or blade to carve a symbol into the wax with your desired intent or outcome. Mm. And the idea is that as the candle burns, your intention is given life through the element of fire and set forth energetically. Love. So I use personally um, just a like a needle, a, like a thick sewing needle, mm-hmm. and I heat the tip up in a flame and yep. then just carve easily into the wax with that. Awesome. Yeah. And what are you carving? Is it a sigil? Are they words? Are they? Whatever I'm uh, feeling yeah, at the time. Whatever. Sometimes yep. it's a word. It could be a name yep. if I'm doing like a particular spell for someone. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, the, the possibilities are endless, yeah. which I will share now. Oh. So what symbols can you use? <laughs> Any. You may wish to refer to ancient symbolism from your own lineages, uh-huh. witchcraft, runes, astrological symbols, or create a sigil specifically for your intended purpose or spell. So I'll give you some ideas to get your witchy brains ticking. (laughs) Yes, please, Shannon. (laughs) So for protecting yourself from any negative energy during spell work or divination, you can carve a pentacle into your candle. So that's a really simple one to do. To attract love, simply carve a heart symbol or you can carve the water element symbol represented by an inverted triangle. So water is associated with emotions. Mm -hmm. To attract abundance, carve the earth symbol represented by an inverted triangle with a stripe through the base. And the earth element presides over our wealth, material possessions and homes. To get rid of any toxic habits, you can carve the air symbol. So that's represented by an upright triangle with a stripe through the top. Air governs the thoughts and the mind. To attract positivity and joy into your life, carve a fire symbol represented by an upright triangle. Fire is representative of passion, motivation and the spark of life. And sigils are personal symbols that witches make to draw their affirmations into their life. They symbolise specific and clear intentions made by the creator. So after charging a sigil through a burning ritual, a sigil can be used to decorate any object of your desire. It can be written on paper as an altar display, printed as stickers or carved onto candles. And we did cover sigils in episode nine, season one, protection magic episode for those of you Perfect. that haven't listened. I love that you've provided the reference back. I even looked back because I'm like, where was it? I knew we did it already. Um, so, yes. I love how methodical you are. I do. I admire it so much. (laughs) Methodical or OCD? A bit of both. Depends on the mood. Exactly. So as mentioned before, you can carve astrological signs into candles. And if you're not sure which one's which, it's super easy to Google and get them all. So your zodiac has an immense influence on your personality, lifestyle, and overall perspective. So incorporating your sun, moon, and rising signs into your candle magic practice can help you to tap into those characteristics. Alternatively, you may also prefer using other astrology symbols to empower a particular trait that is reflected by that sign. So for instance, if you're opt If you're opting to increase your charisma and your sociability with others, you might want to consider carving a Leo symbol onto your candle. Okay. 
For a grounded and practical approach to something, you may wish to use the Capricorn symbol. Right. Or if you want to invoke creative inspiration or intuition, the Piscean symbol. Mm-hmm. And another way is using the astrological signs within the moon phases. For instance, we just had the new moon in Aries. So to amplify the energy to work with on your altar, you would use a red candle because red is associated with the fire sign of Aries and then carving the Aries symbol into it. And while your candle burns, doing your intention setting at your altar space. Okay. Uh, for me personally, I didn't do that because I felt that new moon like nothing else. It was, it was enough just to be under it. Just to be yeah. alive on yeah. the earth at this time. When you were saying harnessing that, I was like, oh, I think no. I need to harness it. <laughs> What's the opposite? I know, right? So candle carving is a great way to amplify the energy of any intention. Mm. But as always, please be mindful of vague wishes and half-assed intentions. Always be mindful of what you put out into the universe and remember to consider the free will and protection of others. So that comes back to like if you're going to do a love spell with a name, probably wouldn't recommend that. Is it the wisest thing to do? Yeah. Just think about it. Yeah. So candle magic is very powerful and something that is really wonderful and relatively cheap to work with. Not only can symbols be incorporated into it, but also colour magic, essential oils and herbs. So get creative and jot down your experiences in your notebook or grimoire so that you remember what you did if it worked a charm. Ah, lovely. That is... Candle carving. It's like your little science book as well, like, you know, yeah. your, your book of everything that you're doing. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Candle carving's wicked. It is. I love that. Burn your candles with due diligence as well. Yes, true. Never leave them unattended. and. But we know all that. Yeah. It's just more a reminder for me. I caught my <laughs> eldest lighting candles the other day. I was like, oh, we're going to have to talk about not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway. That was a mental reminder. Mm. Maybe someone else out there needed to hear it too just True. now. <laughs> True. Lovely. Well, thank you all thank for you. listening this week. And yep. we hope that you learned something or were inspired by something yeah. on today's episode. And, yeah, we've been nice. It's been good to have yeah. a chat. We've had so many amazing interviews lately, um, yeah. which I adore. Yeah. But it has been nice just to... Sit down and have a chat with you, my dear. Yeah, get back to doing this. Mm-mm. It's lovely. Jeez. I always have fun. Same, yeah. And hopefully there's some listeners inspired to share to get in contact with their own favourite. Yep, favourite things, yep. symbols, rituals, or, yeah, if you have any questions, yeah. get in right touch. On in. Yep. We love hearing from you. Yeah, and if you're extra, extra motivated at writing a review and rating us nice five fat stars would be awesome too that would be amazing yeah until next time take care everybody see you later we love bringing turns out she's a witch to you each week at no cost so if you like what you hear please consider supporting the show by donating to our patreon we are a small operation researching coordinating and producing the show ourselves any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making the show As a thank you, you'll get access to some beautiful guided meditation recordings, a Patreon shout-out on the podcast. There's monthly live Q&As, competitions and giveaways, as well as a special book and movie review bonus episodes. 
For more details, please click the link in the show notes. Of course, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at tospsychic at gmail.com. As always, we welcome your questions. We'd love it if you left a review and shared the podcast with your family and friends and give us a follow over on Insta at turnsout underscore she's a witch. Until next time, thanks for listening and being a part of our podcast coven. 